Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts 23, and I'll be reading verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go with him, and they returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letters to the governor, They also presented Paul to him, and when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. History can be broken into two words that really describe history. His story. And I know you've heard that before, but it really is an accounting of God's sovereignty over the the nations and over mankind throughout history. That God has been working amongst men. God has been working amongst the nations to bring about his plan. And if you are a believer, and if you've read the scriptures, then you know that from the beginning, God has had a plan that he has been working out. The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. But thinking about the sovereignty of God and thinking about what we have seen and heard and read as we've been going through this, now we're so deep into it, the reality is that this this can actually be referred to as the Acts of God. Because we have seen how God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, has 
intimately, personally, powerfully interacted throughout this book amongst believers, but also how he has shown himself powerful even amongst the local authorities and then the national authorities as well, how he has revealed himself even among the Roman governments as well. And so, the acts of God. Now, when God first came to Paul and he showed himself sovereign in the life of Paul, he took this man named Saul of Tarsus, who was the destroyer of the, the, the persecutor of the church, who was seeking to destroy all things, and was going to Damascus, right? And God, Jesus, comes and he reveals himself to him, and he blinds him, and he sends him into Damascus. And there he sends Ananias to him, and uh, Ananias, not Ananias the high priest we're talking about, but Ananias the, uh, the prophet. It's kind of fun as we're thinking about that, right? Anyways, so again, always remember when you hear names in the Bible that, you know, they got Bobs and Steves and, and, and Bills and everything just like we have, okay? So he sends Ananias, the prophet, to him with this message because Jesus wants to, him to know how many things he must suffer for my namesake. But prior to that statement, he also makes a statement, a promise, if you would, through Ananias. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, before what? Kings, and before the children of God, before the children of Israel. And I must show him how many things he must suffer. So has Paul already suffered? Say again? Yes, sure he has. He's been, he's been stoned, beaten, left for dead, right? I mean, a lot of other things. Has he ministered, has he witnessed the Gentiles? Yes. Has he witnessed to Israelites? Has he witnessed to the kings? No. Not, not kings in that realm from the perspective of those who are actually ruling over a land. He has ministered to low-level rulers, but not necessarily at that level. God's working is not done with Paul yet. Does that make sense? He's still working on Paul, and, and he's moving him into this final phase, if you would, of his ministry. Paul knows when he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to Jerusalem, and in, in Jerusalem, he's going to find what? More persecution. He's going he's to find more oppression. And so as he goes, and he, and he goes to fulfill his vow, God, and he gets there because he's pressing to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost, right? And so he gets there, and he's going to fulfill this, this vow, and he takes the other um, believers with him into the temple. What happens? Well, he, he, he's there. Um, there's the, he has seen there the, the, the lie is put out that he has brought a Gentile temple area. And so they grab him, they bring him out, they start beating on him. The Romans find out about it. They come down, they rescue him. We're going to read about that in Lysias' note, right? And if hopefully, as, you, as Chuck was reading Lysias' note, you realize that there was a whole lot of fabrication going on in that note, right? Okay, so, but he comes down and they drag him back up to here. They allow, him, allow Paul to speak to the crowd. He speaks to him in Hebrew. He gets to the point where that God has given, given him um, the authority to go out and preach the gospel to the Gentile, the deplorable word, right? And it all breaks loose again. They take him into the, the barracks. And they're in the barracks. They're about ready to what? What were they getting ready to do? Scourge him. Whip him, okay? And so that's when Paul says to him, hey, is it, is it legal for you? Is it right for you to be able to whip an uncondemned Roman? And then, oh, everything stops, right? And so that's kind of where we pick it up right now, that, that God has now done this preparatory phase into this last segment, if you would, of Paul's ministry. At least the last segment that we're going to read about, okay? And so I've titled these last six messages as Fulfilling God's Plan. Okay, and this is the first part of it where we're going to read about the um, falling of the plot. Okay, but it's a reminder to us that we are in a spiritual war. Okay, that all along the way, God again. Last week I mentioned the fact that God that Paul was just an ordinary man with an extraordinary calling, and there's no difference between Paul and us. You are ordinary individuals. I'm an ordinary guy, but God has given an extraordinary calling. We are his children. 
We're given a message to be able to share with the nations that changes lives, that can assure people of an eternal existence in the presence of God. That's a pretty powerful thing. Satan doesn't want that message proclaimed. He'll do whatever he can to to inhibit that message from being proclaimed. God has allowed Satan to have the liberty to do that. How all that plays together, I don't understand. It's, it's, It's a pay grade way above me, right? And so I always think of David as he declares, such things are too wonderful for me. I just, I just, as I try to meditate on those things, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's beyond, beyond me. I'm just clay. And, and I can, I just say, okay, God, you're God. It's, it's all yours. But I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. How do I know it? Because God said so. And I accept it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual authorities. Hosts in the darkness. It's a spiritual war. So right now, in our culture, in our land, around the world, there's a war going on. But it's not a cultural battle. I want you to get that. I want you to understand it. We see things from the physical plane. But behind the scenes, there's a what? There's a spiritual war going on. There's a spiritual battle going on. And we're a part of that battle from the perspective of God has still given us a message to proclaim. And Satan doesn't want the message proclaimed. And Paul was bold in proclaiming the message of God. He's the guy who wrote that. He understood it. And so at the very end of this, does anybody know how with it, you know, putting on the whole armor of God, right? And then he says at the very end about the armor of God, in praying, what? Always for all. For all who? All the saints. With all prayer and supplication. And then he says, and pray also for me, that I may have boldness to open my mouth and to speak as I ought to speak. In the whole understanding, he gets it. The, the whole spiritual war battle, Paul understands it. Even though he's super Paul, he's just an ordinary guy. And he's battling a battle. But he recognizes the fact that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over his life. And through these next six messages, we're going to see that sovereignty of God displayed in such marvelous ways, even as we have throughout the rest of the book. But that God is going to lead him, and God's going to fulfill the plan that God had declared to him all the way back at the beginning. Because he is going to take him to Rome. He is going to have audiences with kings. And I believe probably even with Caesar himself. That that's God's plan for him. And God will fulfill his plan. So today, we're going to be looking at foiling the plot. But the reality is, and we're going to see it from man's perspective, but we're going to understand and hopefully continue to look at it, not from man's perspective, but from God's perspective. Because the first thing we see is, again, we talked about this last week, and so I'm bringing it up and I'm I'm bringing it in because I think this is the beginning phase of this part as well as we kind of do the transition, and that is the encouragement from the Lord. In this encouragement from the Lord, there is... A a command, a challenge, a charge, whichever way you want to look at this, and then a promise. But the command is to be of good cheer. It's it's in in the imperative mood. This isn't a a request. This isn't a thought process. This, This is something that Jesus commands Paul. In the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of all this troublesome situation that you're in, in the midst of all this chaos that's going on, and you're being dragged, you're being chained, you're being potentially being scourged, you're going to be put in jail, all this kind of stuff. Paul, I want you to be of good cheer, good courage. It is reminiscent, then, of what God spoke to Joshua way back when Joshua was taken over for Moses. I don't know if you can imagine that. I mean, to, 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 to fill the, the, the shoes, the sandals, thank you, the sandals of Moses. Could you imagine? You're the guy. You're going to come in after Moses, and you're going to lead these people. 
numerous times, starting way back in the book of Deuteronomy and then into Joshua, God speaks to Joshua and tells him to be strong and of good courage. To be strong and of good courage. Does anybody know without going there, okay, or you can go there if you want, okay, but not, we're not turning there right now. What is it based upon? What, what, is the, what is the challenge to be strong and of good courage to Joshua based upon? For lo, what? I'm with you. Well, always, that's from Jesus talking to the, the Great Commission. Yeah, we want to go there. But I'm with you. Wherever you go, wherever you go, I'm with you. So don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Be in my word. Be in my presence. Be strong and of good courage. It's the same message that he's telling to Paul. Be strong. Good courage. I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you. We're going to get to that promise in just a second, right? It's also reminiscent then of Paul's challenge to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, Paul says to him, he says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, literally be manly, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Be strong. Be brave. Be manly. And let everything you do be done with love. Now, he had just told them at the end of what we call chapter 15, earlier in in his letter then, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be strong. Be of good courage. Why? Because everything you do will be rewarded. Everything you do for God will be rewarded. He doesn't miss it. He's the one that Jesus talked about. If your son asks you for bread, would, you, would he give you a rock? If, if he asks you for a fish, would you give him a serpent? Of course not. He's the one who Jesus talked about when he talked about the servants coming back. And he says, well done, my what? Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now receive these kingdoms. Do you believe that God will reward you for your work on the earth? Do you really? If we really did, then what would we be doing? Say again, Chuck. More work. We serve faithfully because we knew that we're laying up rewards in heaven, Matthew 6, right? But rather, we're trying to lay up treasures here on earth. We're the Roth. We're the Roth. We're the rust and the moth, putting them together. The Roth. Not the Roth IRAs. Hopefully, they don't do that. But anyways, but we're the, the rust and the moth doth corrupt. But we want to lay them up here. And yeah, actually, if you have it in the Roth IRA and you ever watch the stock market, it does doth corrupt, man. I mean... I go, oh, well, it's not mine anyway, whatever. Just, But rather lay up your treasures in heaven. The moth and the rust doesn't. So it's a command. It's not a, not a request. It's a command. In, in the face of all the troublesome situations that you're going through right now, Paul, I want you to be of good courage. I want you to be of good cheer. Why? Because I know your works. I know your works. I know, it sounds like he's talking to the church of Ephesus there in Revelation, huh? I know how you've testified and bearing witness for me in Jerusalem. I know what you've done. I know that you've come knowing that you're going to undergo this stuff. That you didn't faint, you didn't falter, you didn't fade away. You didn't turn the other way and run. You walked right into it. You knew it was going to happen. Heroes are guys that do things that are heroic, or women, but people, right? But it's one thing to be a reactive hero. You get what I'm talking about, that, right? It just it, it happens and you just do something by impulse. That's a reactive hero. It's another thing to have premeditated 
upon the sacrifice of your life or whatever for somebody else. Does it make sense? I mean, because that gives us time to do what? Ah, you know, I'm not quite sure. Let's come up with another idea. Somebody else can sacrifice themselves, not me. Paul knew, coming into Jerusalem, that he was going to suffer. But he still came. And Jesus said, look, I know what you have done. I know your past. Stop for a moment. That's positive for Paul. Are you feeling pretty good about the fact that God knows everything you've done this week? That God knows everything you've done in the last 24 hours? That God knows everything you've done in the last three hours? That God knows what was going on in your car before you got to church? That God knows, I always talk about the worst times in my house. Now, they were good. That's why I was kind of laughing this morning. I'm not quite sure what's getting ready to happen. But, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning, those are rough times. You know, I'm coming in and I feel like I'm all scattered every place Sunday morning coming in. And this morning I wasn't. I was like, ooh, I don't know what the other, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, a, you know, it's almost like you, you don't want to have, you know, struggles in the house and struggles in your own personal life and all this kind of stuff. Because, you know, but when it doesn't happen, you're like, oh, something bad's going to happen soon. <laughs> but we get it, right? And so God knows everything about you. But he knows your heart. Now, hopefully, hopefully, that's encouraging to you. If it's not, then clearly there are things to what? Take care of. Things to repent of. Things to turn away from. Things to ask God to help you change the way you think on. I know what has been. I know what you've done. But even more importantly, I know what will happen. Just as you testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also witness for me in Rome. Do you think Paul's going to make it to Rome? Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. We've read the book. We know he makes it to Rome. But does Paul know it at this moment, whether he's going to make it to Rome? Yes, based upon the word of God. That's exactly right. At this moment, he says, yes! It doesn't matter what Satan throws at me. And Satan's going to throw a whole lot at him over the next couple of weeks. Do you think Jesus knew that he'd, he'd raise from the dead? Come on. Give me an hour together. Yes. Yes. It was rough for a moment there. Of course he did. Of course he did. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? However, when he's in the garden and he's praying, he sweats it as, as it was drops of blood. And he's crying out to the Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it what? Let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's not necessarily fun going through the will of God. <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, God's got your and he's with you all the way. And the only thing that can touch you is what he's allowed. Now, I want to go real quick to Jeremiah 29, 8 to 14. And I had this in there. I told this to Anna coming back Friday um, that this was already in. So for Kaylee Rain and, and Marlis and you others who were, went to watch them do their thing at Bob Jones on Friday, um, there was a theater um, camp. Anyways, the, the guy shared it as well. But it was already in the message. So if you all think, just want to make sure that everybody knows that this didn't come as a result of that. But I hear this passage quoted so many times. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans. Can we read it in context, please? Beginning of verse 8. So hopefully you have your Bibles. Jeremiah 29, beginning of verse 8. For thus says Yahweh Shabbat, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamt your dreams which you cause to be dreamt you dream your own dreams because it's what you want for they prophesy falsely to you in my name i have not sent them says yahweh for thus says yahweh after 70 years are completed at babylon i will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place stop what's the context Say again? They're exiled. 
How did they get into exile? How did they get into exile? Say again. Well, disobedience to God. Between the disobedience of God and the exile, what was there? There was a lot of devastation. There was a lot of, a lot of punishment, a lot of chastisement that went on because of their disobedience. A lot of people didn't go into exile. Yes, that's right. Some died. A lot of people died. Okay? But you're going to be in exile now for 70 years. You're going to be away from your house for 70 years. You're going to be under the rule of a foreign power for 70 years. Don't even, too long. Don't even think about it. That's exactly right. There were some who were children who came back and they wept because they could remember. But if they were of any age, they didn't come back. Okay? After 70 years, verse 10, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says Yahweh, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you get it? All this is going to play out when what? When you repent. When you turn to me, and when you're seeking me with all your heart, this is going to play out. God's not a willy-willy I'm just going to give you whatever you want. But it's one of the things I didn't like in the, um, whatever the, the, the hymns was that we just sang, um, that he'll give you whatever. And, and it doesn't work that way. Psalm 37, 4 is very clear. If you um, delight yourself in the Lord, he will what? Give you desires of your heart. 1 John 5 is very clear. If you ask anything according to his will, then you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, then you know you get what, you're gonna, what you've asked for. It's according to his will. Do you get it? And so his will isn't always for us to, to live the American pop dream. American believers got to wake up. We think we got to buy on everything. That because you were born an American, God owes you something. It doesn't happen that way. Read the Bible. Read Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. And all the ones who went through trials, persecution, troublesome situations. And yet God loved them. God was faithful to them. They didn't get what they thought they were going to get, but they got more. You get more. It all depends on where is your perspective. Is it on earth? Colossians chapter 3. You're supposed to set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. But we have our minds set upon the things of earth. And so, so I love the passage, Jeremiah 29. I love the promise. Because God says, I know. I know. I know the plans. So bring it into Paul. Paul, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to have you persecuted. Plans to have you whipped. Plans for you to be going through shipwrecks. Plans for you to be bitten by poisonous spider or poisonous snakes. That doesn't sound as good, does it? I bet you not many people are going to be claiming that one. We want to claim the, the, the ones that sound good. But it's okay. It's okay if God wants you to go through trials and tribulations. Because when you go through the trials and tribulations, that's when you most reveal Christ to those who are around you. Again, I mentioned it last week, and you'll we'll probably hear it numerous times, sorry. But when does the church grow the, the strongest, fastest? Through persecution. That's when people around you know it's real. It's easy to believe when things are all good and you're getting everything you want and you're living the American dream and you're laying up treasures on earth. But my father wants more for me than that. Romans 8, 
9. You know how it starts. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to whose purpose? His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, those He did also predestine, those He did call, and those He did predestine to be conformed to the image of Christ. God's purpose for you, His predestined purpose for you, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Paul embraced that. He embraced it. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul, I know what you've done. And I know what's going to happen. You will witness for me in Rome. He just didn't tell him all the details of what's going to happen on the way to Rome, but you know them because you've read the book. It's not going to be a pleasure cruise. He's going to be in jail for numerous years. He's going to be, on, he's going to be a prisoner on the boat. The boat's going to shipwreck. He's going to be in the midst of this thing trying to wonder whether he's going to make it, but he knows he's going to make it because Jesus is going to come again and he's going to remind him of it and he's going to refresh him again. And he's going to be an encouragement to all the men on this boat because Paul is going to be a witness to Gentiles and Israelites and kings just as Jesus said he would be. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you can go all the way back to that statement that he made to Peter and James and John, follow me and I will, what? Make you fishers of men. That's why you're on the earth. You're here as his ambassadors, as his representatives. And when they persecute you, remember, they're persecuting you for my sake. That's what he said. Let's go on. So that's encouragement. <laughs> that's the encouragement. Okay? So now we get to the next part where we now have this evidence from Paul's nephew. Okay, which is fun because we watch now this sovereign hand of God play out, not just among believers, but now everybody we're going to be talking about really is unbelievers at this moment, right? And so these 40 men, 40 plus men, make an oath. They make an oath. An oath to the Jews is a huge deal. Now, I'm not going to go through all these. You can look at them, okay? But Genesis 50, Exodus 13, that's the, the um, Joseph with the, his brothers and, and, the, and the descendants, and he puts them under an oath that when they go back up into the land, when God comes, and he surely will deliver you. And when he does that, I want you to take my bones up, okay? I'm not getting into that, but that tells me right there that persecution, they, they were already being persecuted. Israel was already at this moment, even while Joseph was alive, that, that the, the years of their tyranny over them had already begun, okay? And so Joseph says, God will deliver you. And when he does, take my bones up. Well, Acts 13, or Exodus 13 is, is that part where they, they remember the oath that they took. They remember the vow that they made. Vows were very important. So again, you can read Numbers chapter 30. The entire chapter is, is about it, okay? And then 1 Samuel 14 as well, showing that's the one where they're going through the, um, the woods and Saul puts them all under a vow, okay, that nobody should eat. And then Jonathan takes a little bit of honey, puts it in his mouth, right? And then all of a sudden they start losing the battle and they pray about this, you know, because God's not answering them. And, and Saul says, you know, surely, you know, the person who, who broke the vow will die, right? And so it breaks it all the way down to Jonathan. So God held, God was very important that, that there was a vow made. Okay, and he held them to it, and the whole nation uh, suffered as a result of it. Okay, we can go talk about Achan, how Achan uh, took that which was set apart. Was there was a vow made, right? And thirty-five men of Israel died because of it. Okay, vows are extremely important to God. In fact, Jesus then says about that you've heard it said about this. He said, "But I say to you, right? Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Don't take a vow." You know, because the heavens are, is, is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Don't do that, okay? And so uh, James 5 talks about it as well, the importance of an oath. Well, these guys, 40-plus men, they took an oath that they would neither eat nor drink until Paul was killed. They didn't kill Paul. Did you ever wonder, did they die of starvation? I've thought about this so many times. Every time I read this passage, this is what I think about. 
I mean, did these guys, like, did they break their vow? Did they finally eat and drink because their plan was foiled? I mean, but they made a vow to God. Do you think God held them, held them to, the, to the vow? I think he did. I think he did. I would love, I mean, there's another one of these places that's like, ah, oh, can I just have an addendum? Can I have an appendix Z? You know, this is what happened to the 40 guys, 40 plus guys who took the vow and they couldn't fulfill their vow. I don't know. But I know from all those other passages and other passages I can show you in the Old Testament that God holds people accountable to vows that they make. When you stood in front of the church and you made a vow before God, he holds you accountable to the vow. And if you read that passage from Numbers chapter 30, what you're going to read about is the witnesses, people who witness the vow that's being made. And if they don't go back to try to hold people accountable to the vow that they made, they're also accountable as well. Hmm. You ever been to a wedding? Did you ever see the per- two people up front giving vows? Yeah? Before, before God, right? Did you ever see them get divorced? Did you ever go to them and challenge them about the vow that they made? God in his grace. God in his grace. Because you, I get it. I performed weddings. Okay? I get that. Okay? I think God holds us accountable. Vows are important. Our words are important. I can't go into that's another subject, just but the importance of our words, the power of our words. Okay? But they're all there. Okay? These guys make this vow. Okay? And so they say, here's what's going to happen. Well, then, so... Then they go to the council. This is huge to me. What do they do? They go to the council, and they ask the council. Now, they don't state it this way, but this is what it, it boils down to. We want you to be a part of murder. We want you to aid and abet what we want to do. We want to kill Paul. And so we just got to find a way to get him. So we want you guys to put in pretense. We want you to ask the Roman commander to send them over one more time. And we'll be waiting. Now, you know you're not going to meet with them because we're going to kill them. What don't you read in this passage? They didn't refuse. It's an argument from silence. But we can assume based upon everything else how it all plays out that they didn't refuse. Isn't it sad what power does to people? Yeah, that's exactly right. And what fake belief does? These are individuals who would have claimed in the name of God they're going to seek to persecute and kill a servant of God. Just as Jesus had talked about how they'd done it to all the prophets up until that moment. They hadn't changed. So does this surprise us, or should it surprise us in our day? If those who are in authority in our land would make decisions that would go against the servants of God? It shouldn't. Now, I pray for our land. I pray for repentance. I pray for a great revival. I'd love to see God do a work in this land one more time. But he may not. He may not. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe the United States anything. And if we want to talk prophecy, we can talk about that later. I really don't, I don't, I don't see us lasting much longer. But in the midst of that, are you ready for it? Are you ready to go to Jerusalem? Knowing that Jerusalem's going to bring you trials and tribulations and persecution. Sadly, this conspiracy went on. But then we get the coincidence, right? And I notes I have the coincidence in quotes. Because this is what? Sovereignty of God moment. Right? So this is going on. Paul is going to be killed. Satan's trying to destroy the plan of God, right? Always plays out this way. Satan's trying to destroy the plan of God. God has a plant. (laughs) He has the nephew of Paul. Now, was he a a free Roman citizen like Paul was? 
Was he from the city of Tarsus? Why was he in Jerusalem? How old is he? Because the word, he could be anywhere from, you know, like 10 years old to 30 years old, you know? And so we're not kind of sure how old he is, except for the commander, when the commander's brought, we'll, we'll talk about this, well, I'll just bring it up, the next part, the consideration of the centurion commander. He takes him by the hand and leads him astray. And so in that moment, we'd almost think that this is a younger kid, right? But I don't know whether necessarily he has to have been younger at this moment. I think it's more of a consideration of this commander. That Don't you wonder how many conversations between the commander and, and the centurion and Paul there have already been in, in the prison? Again, I can't prove this one way or the other. It's an argument from silence. But I got a feeling like he probably didn't stop talking to Paul at this moment. I think he probably started continue to have conversations with Paul. And so he's feeling tender toward Paul. And so this young man comes and he informs him of the conspiracy that's going on, the plot that's going on, right? And so he tells it to the centurion, or tells it to Paul. How does he get in, straight into Paul? Right? They're already giving Paul some privileges, right? So Paul calls for the centurion. The centurion takes him to the commander. And the commander does what? Think about this. What does the commander do at this moment? It's exactly right, Mark. He believes and acts on it. I mean, when he grabbed Paul yesterday or a couple days ago, we're not necessarily sure how many days, right? It was a couple days. When he grabs Paul, what did he think of Paul at that moment? Troublemaker. Yeah, we don't know where this guy is, you know? Troublemaker. But now all of a sudden, this little boy comes, and Paul sends him. And he treats him with tenderness and compassion. And he listens to him. And he sends a huge force. I mean, enough. I mean, talking about believing him, 400 foot soldiers, 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, 75, 70, sorry, 70 horsemen, 470 Roman soldiers to protect one Jew. Somebody he was willing to what? Scourge and kill, wipe out just a couple days before. But now all of a sudden, he's got 470. Do you wonder how many Roman troops were left in Jerusalem? Yes. I mean, there's always little things I think about. Wow, now's the time to put an uprising in Jerusalem, right? Because everybody's there hanging out with Paul. They're, they're taking him down to Antipatris. There's probably more. But when you're riding down the road and you see all those cop cars and you see, you know, there's an accident and all of a sudden you see five, five state troopers all there. Don't, you're thinking of your brain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of you are honest. Then you think, ah, the road's clear the rest of the way. <laughs> I got at least 30 miles. <laughs> I can't imagine. And they leave at 9 o'clock at night. Why? So no one sees them. They really believe in this conspiracy. And they act upon it. I think this is an amazing thing. And so they go halfway to Antipatris. And at the halfway point at Antipatris, the 400 foot soldiers return to come back to Jerusalem. The 70 horsemen continue on the rest of the journey all the way to Caesarea. Still 70 horsemen. And Paul's not walking. He's on a horseback. He's a prisoner. And he's riding in style. I mean, think about that. Isn't God good? I mean, God is showing his sovereignty at this moment, not over just a little boy, but over the entire Roman Empire. He has the entire army at his disposal to protect his chosen one, his voice. If it was time for Paul to die, and it will become time for Paul to die, he'll die in Rome. But he'll die when it's what? When it's time and not before. I'm always mindful of Galatians 4. 
talks about Jesus coming to the earth in the what? Fullness of time. In the fullness of time. God has got this big um, sand. Uh, hourglass. I'm thinking hourglass. Yeah. With all the sand coming down. And, and, and it's got to be the exact amount of grains of sand. One more. Now it's time. And he's not going to do it until the exact moment. Do you know that God knows when you're going to die? And he knows how it's going to happen. You don't think so? Yeah, but he does. It's written in the book. That's what he says. He knows. And he also says, if you know him, if you're one of his, that the death of his children, the death of the righteous, is precious in his sight. So one thing I know, that when I die, God's what? He's through with me. He's done with me. My ministry's over. How many of you are here today? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Brian, good, Brian. You worked with me on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> the rest of you are sleeping. <laughs> They're all, I mean, you're here. You're alive. That means God isn't done with you yet. Do you get it? But we take our eyes off of it, and we put it on the earth, and we forget about it. You are extraordinary. Now, I'm not trying to be that motivational speaker. And that kind of, I'm not that guy, okay? But this is straight from the Word of God, man. You are an extraordinary individual, and God loves you. And he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1, go back and read it again. And he hasn't done it all so you can squander it on the earth. Worrying about how much of the world can I get? He's made you extraordinary. And you by yourself are not, you do not have any prowess in speaking. It's God who's going to work through you. It's God who's going to speak through you. It's God who's going to use you. When you go to the door and you knock on the door, yes, I get it. I'm, I'm using the illustration because this is Bob. This is Bob. I am not that guy. But I trust, by faith, I trust that when I knock on the door, and if somebody happens to come to the door, then when they come to the door, God's going to enable me to speak. We switched our internet service provider. Tech came on Wednesday. I didn't know I was going to get an in-home visit, uh, in-home uh, helper uh, specialist who's going to come help me through my trials of signing all the documents. Anyways, so man, we had a great conversation. This half hour to maybe an hour install was four hours, and um, <laughs> great visit. I don't want to tell you the guy's name in case he ever visits. He said he might visit. Anyways. I had this phenomenal visit, and we talked God, man, back and forth. I mean, it was just really good. And the text took such a long time laying on the floor behind my computer desk doing what I mean, I don't know, but I'm thinking, he's just listening. And he's listening, and he's listening. Do you get it? I had an appointment on Wednesday morning. I didn't know about it. Now, I actually did have a phone appointment on Wednesday morning, and I had to text the guy and say, hey, man, you know, they're still here and all this kind of stuff. He says, oh, call me when you can. So... But God had another appointment for me. Does that make sense? And it all started with me seeing the guy had tats. Okay, And I know, tats tell a story. And I saw two tats. And I said, hey, man, you got these two tats. Can you tell me what they mean to you? And that just started the whole thing. It's kind of fun. You have a purpose on the earth. Do you get it? I didn't plan that that morning. And that's not my style. But that moment, the Lord drew my, my, my eyes straight to those things and let me know I need to open up my mouth. Are you willing to open up your mouth? And speak the truth. Speak the truth. Then we weren't talking tats. I didn't care about that. I wanted to know what the tats meant. And that's where we went. Okay, And so I could tell you what the tats were, but that doesn't matter. The whole point is, that's what God allowed me to use as the step toward talking of Christ and salvation and, and those things. 
the force. Finally, the note. The note's really, I don't want to talk a whole lot about the note. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about it next week and next, as we go. But, but in it, in this note, it's just a lot of fabrication. You know, coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Was that true? No, of course not. No, it wasn't. He didn't learn he was a Roman until he was getting ready to scourge him. He didn't know who he was. Oh, I, aren't, you the, the, aren't you the Egyptian who led the rebellion? No, that's not me. He didn't know who he was. But he needs to look good, right? And through this whole thing, when we read it, I don't see Paul ever making Lysias look bad. It didn't matter. Do you get it? Some things just don't matter. They don't. They don't matter. It doesn't matter. But what he realized, Lysias realized was, if this Roman citizen is killed on my watch, it's off of my head. So I'm sending him to you, Felix, to watch over him. <laughs> you can handle this one. I'm up in the scale on this one. That's what he was thinking. But what was God doing? Getting Paul to Rome. That's exactly right. Next step. Get him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Isn't it kind of cool? Kind of cool? When you look at it, God is working in mysterious ways. God is he's working among people. He is sovereign over all things. So are you living in the confidence of the sovereignty of God? Or are you living in the fear of man? You got to be living in, in the confidence of God's sovereignty. Do you honestly believe that all things, how many things? All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Are you actively pursuing service to the Lord or are you actively pursuing service to yourself? That's a hard one. That's a hard one for Bob. Okay? I mean, it's a struggle. This has got to be all about God, not about Bob. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are sovereign over all the affairs of men. Truly, history is your story. And I know that I can mouth that. I can just kind of say it. And yet I can struggle with it in my life. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help me and help these others to be committed to your kingdom and your righteousness, to be seeking it first, Lord, to be desiring to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Help us, Lord, not to be mindful of the things of this world, but rather to be mindful of the things that are in your presence. Help us to see individuals, not as struggles to us, but Lord, as individuals who need to know you. Help us to magnify you at all times. Help us to trust you in all things. Lord, help us to remember, to recall that you are truly sovereign everywhere and in all things. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.